Uh, just before we open the scriptures together, let us take a moment and I will pray. <clears throat> Our Father, we just thank you that we can come to thee and we can count on thee for um, the need of every situation that we encounter in our lives. And as we approach this particular hour in the gospel, um, less than an hour, of course, but uh, a momentous time, a critical time, and perhaps a decisive time for some soul. We draw near to thee tonight and then pray that this uh, gathering will fall under the direction of the Holy Spirit of God and that from its beginning to its close that we will enjoy just that um, complete, um, that complete uh, guidance of the Lord governing in all, of its, um, in all of its movement, all of its meaning that will be taken from thy word. We thank thee for such a, a message. We thank thee for such a savior. We thank thee for such a hope in a world that is dark. We thank thee for life in the midst of death. We uh, thank thee, Lord, for certainty in the midst of so much uncertainty, for the clarity of thy word in the midst of such confusion tonight. Like a lighthouse upon a stormy main, so is thy word to every traveler towards eternity. And we ask, Lord, tonight then that if there is some heart here that knows not the Savior, but would also dearly and uh, deeply long to know him as Savior uh, post-haste, even as early as this very night, and perhaps even within this very moment, this very meeting, we pray that they will not go away disappointed. And we pray that they will not go away unhelped. And we pray that this will be a salvation night for some seeking heart. To thee will be the honor and the glory, obviously. What joy there will be. No joy greater than the joy in the heart of the one that did so much to make it possible, even the Lord Jesus Christ. So we just linger in thy presence and look to thee for help in this present hour in the gospel. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. It's just by habit I'm saying hour in the gospel. You'll understand that, of course. I'm not expecting to take a full hour, and I'm not normally involved in just being the only speaker in a meeting, but um, I'd like to look at, with you for a few moments at some very simple words that are found in a passage that has often been used. It's found in Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 20, and uh, we're not even going to preach on the entire verse, but we're going to speak on the last uh, segment of the verse, whose words are very um, are very simple and are very straightforward. And we're going to probe around the text. And so typical to the living, powerful Word of God is how much there is found in so few words. And so we uh, trust that the Word of God will be a help to you tonight if you are anxious and wanting and needing to be saved. There is a salvation for you. How wonderful to commence a meeting with that grand assurance that there is a salvation, that there is a God tonight who is actually desirous to see you saved. More than you want to be saved yourself or ever could want to be saved, there is a God in heaven that wants to see you saved tonight. So Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. <clears throat> and um, what I want to do is, I guess we'll read the whole verse, but I'm, we're going to go and I'll highlight for you the part I want to look at. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of, and it's from this point forward I want to draw your attention to these last remaining words. The Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. 
And uh, as I look at at these words, one of the things that kind of comes to my mind is the enormity of the problem that the author had in his life. The author of these words is the Apostle Paul. And he had a great problem in his heart, in his life, and that was the problem of his sin. And I think that we can say without exaggeration tonight, uh, we can describe that problem as an enormous problem. And the reason that we can say that it's an enormous problem is because of what it took to neutralize that problem, to cancel that problem, to correct that problem. The problem in Paul's life is the problem that you have in your life and the problem that I have in my life, and that is the problem of your sin. And it's something that is universally true because the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the problem of sin is such an enormity in this particular case and in this particular verse because of what it took to cancel it. And what it took to cancel it, in the words of our verse here tonight, of our text, is it took the Son of God, who loved me, says Paul, and gave himself for me, handed himself over, entrusted himself over without reserve, To what? To the death of the cross. To the suffering not merely at the hands of men. And when I say not merely, I'm not denigrating or minimizing minimizing what the suffering was that he underwent at the hands of men. But what I'm trying to say is that above and beyond that, beyond the, the inflicted suffering by men that were so cruel and brutal around their treatment of the Lord Jesus Christ, both before and while he was on the cross, is the fact that God himself stretched out his hand, invisible as it was, to all around. Yet it was very real and very present. And God himself, in the language of the Bible says, spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Same word that we've got here, gave himself. So it's God that has given him over to the judgment and to the suffering and the punishment, the blows of his wrath, of God's war that he had declared against sin, it fell upon and was targeted in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the enormity of your sin tonight is somewhat appreciated within the precincts of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The tremendous suffering that the Lord Jesus underwent so that your sins could be cleansed, could be canceled that debt so that you could have a place in heaven eternally. It took the death of God's only son at the cross to cancel out your sin. A big problem because it took a big solution to fix it. The son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the enormity of the problem. And I want you to also understand the impossibility of the problem. The impossibility of your problem tonight, you need to grasp and understand so that you can appreciate why the Lord Jesus needed to die. And I can only sum it up by saying saying it to you in these words. That you can bank on this. That if there was anything that you could do or anything that I could do, 
that would somehow deal with this issue of our sin that stood between us and getting in to heaven. I don't even need to tell you this. God would happily have foregone causing his son to be punished at the cross. He would have happily let you take any and every other way to get in. But your problem tonight is not only a a great problem, it is not only a problem of enormity, but it's a problem of impossibility. And do you want to know why the Lord Jesus had to die? Let's call that the necessity. The reason that he had to die on the cross of Calvary had to be punished by the wrath of God upon the cross in the hours of darkness and even prior to those hours of darkness. Do you know why that had to happen? Because there was no other way for you to get in. So this Bible, this verse doesn't say, and I want to, I guess while I'm right here, I want to tell you about the sufficiency and the exclusivity of the work that the Lord Jesus did at the cross. Not only its indispensability, its absolute necessity. If anyone was ever going to darken the door of heaven, cliche we use when we preach the gospel, if you were ever going to get into God's presence, then it took the death of Christ, and I want you to understand tonight that it was not your good works that could get you in. The Bible says that it is not of works, lest anyone should brag. And the Bible goes a step further and says that the reason that it's not by your good deeds that will get you into heaven is because God is so holy. Get a hold of this. God is so holy that even in our best, he detects sin. So if he rejects your bad deeds, and then he turns around and rejects your good deeds, obviously what have you got left? You don't have anything left. Nothing. You don't have anything to bargain with them. You can't even put anything on the table to negotiate your entrance into heaven. There's no bribe that you could put there that would be satisfactory. So this verse is not telling us that your good works is what will cancel your sin. This is not even saying your good works plus Christ who gave himself at the cross. That that combined is going to work and get you in. This is not, and I I don't know if you can follow me on this one, this is not saying the Son of God plus your good works. You said, you just said that. I know, but I'm saying it the opposite way around for a reason. Many people think that you have to do a bunch of good works, and if you work at it hard enough, you're going to actually reach a point where God will look at you and say, whoa, you are really trying. You know what? I think you pretty well qualified. Here, here's your ticket. You get to go to heaven now. And so they think that, oh yeah, the death of Christ was necessary, but I had to really clean myself up, fix myself. I got myself in really good shape. And when I was right at the top, wow, I got in. No, no, no. This is discarding. This is sidelining, eliminating any contribution of yours up to getting saved. But even further, it's not saying the Son of God plus your good works. So it's not saying that if a person gets saved today, 
that now from here forward he's on probation. And that God is sitting there with a time clock and he's measuring how fast he gets to the tape at the end of the race. It's not as if God is sitting there like a referee and he's going to see if he ran according to the rules. It's not as if he's going to measure it all up and say, you know what? I'm going to look at what Christ has done at the cross and wow, this guy has really been impressive. I really like what he's done. So I'm going to size it all up and I think, you know what? Between the two, I think we've got a winning combination. This guy gets to, he gets free pass right into heaven. No. This is not saying anything of Paul at all when it came to him getting saved. It is the exclusivity of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the Son of God minus nothing plus nothing who loved me and gave himself for me that takes a person alone to heaven. And I don't think I need to even tell you this, that there are not many ways to get in into heaven. The Lord Jesus said that very clearly in John chapter 14 and verse number 6 when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So what is he saying? He's saying that he is the only way into God's presence. So it is not the death of Christ plus your good works. It's not the death of Christ plus your many prayers. It's not the death of Christ plus your church attendance. It's not the death of Christ plus your many efforts to keep the Ten Commandments. It's not the death of Christ plus your many uh, sacrifices or how much money you put in the plate on a Sunday morning or how often you're charitable to your neighbor or to the down and outers. It's, it's not saying anything about you at all. Because when it comes to you getting into heaven tonight, so great is the problem of your sin that you have absolutely nothing to put on the table in front of God except sin. That's all that you have. But I can tell you tonight that you might have an enormous problem, but God's got an even bigger solution. You might have an enormous sin, but God's got an even bigger and better Savior. And where sin has abounded, grace wants to superabound. And it wants to give you something that will counter the devastating effects of your sin. And I'm not talking about sorrow. And I'm not talking about havoc. And I'm not talking about the inconvenience that it's caused to, to yourself and so many other people in your, li in your life. I'm talking about tonight you getting rescued from an eternal destiny of being lost in hell and in the lake of fire. And the death of Christ tonight is the repeated, emphasized, exclusive means for you to escape hell and make it to heaven. And you know what? It works. You know why? How, how we know it works? Because it doesn't say the Son of God who loved me and gave himself and gave himself and gave himself and gave himself and gave himself. No. He didn't have to do it a whole bunch of times. He only had to do it once. Because in the banking and accounting of God, the payment the Lord Jesus put on the table at the cross when he gave himself was a payment that in terms of heaven's accounting, heaven's reckoning, in heaven's ledger, in the ledger of your dark deeds, as far as God is concerned, it was enough to cover it and cancel it 
and cleanse it forever. Now, I, I want to try to point out another little detail that is such a common, misun- a common misconception about this. That when a person gets saved, it is not that the death of Christ is all of a sudden uh, like a, a switch on the wall where God turns it on and makes it uh, retroactive. You know what I mean by that? I mean by that that it's not the death of Christ from this day backward in your life. Back to the very first sin you ever committed. Right up until now, all canceled, all cleansed. It's all corrected. Brand new start. And there you are afterwards, trembling, and you're now mustering up the strength, all right? And you're going to rev up the engine just like a race car driver right there at the starting line, you know? And you're going to give her your 100%. And so now you say, well, what do I have to do to go to heaven? Well, I have to accept Christ. So what am I going to do? I'm going to accept Christ. And what do I think about when I say I'm accepting Christ? I'm thinking about the fact that now because he has canceled all my past sins, I'm now going to try to live without any sin. And I know it's all dependent on me. And so I'm going to give her 100%. I'm going to give her my best. And here I am, fully disposed. I'm fully committed. I'm fully ready. And I'm now going to make my promise to Christ that from this day forward, I'm going to live to serve you. I'm going to live to honor you. I'm going to turn away from my vices. And I'm going to turn away from myself. And all my folly and all my, all my past. And it's a brand new start. And here we go. All right. Wouldn't last for five minutes. With all due respect. Do you know that for God, even the slightest glimmer of an inappropriate thought is sin so big that on that basis alone, if you had no other wrong in your life, God couldn't let you into heaven. And how could you spend five minutes? Oh, you said maybe ten. Okay, ten. Whippy. You know what I mean? Fifteen minutes, whatever. And not have even a wrong thought? A wrong attitude? One slight moment of impatience? One inappropriate desire? One inappropriate thought? Wouldn't work. So just get a hold of this tonight. That when it talks about the Lord Jesus, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's not just retroactive. It's currently active. And it's proactive into the future. So that as far as God is concerned, not only your past sins are canceled, not only your present sins you've had today are canceled, but even into the future, the sins you haven't committed yet are canceled before you've even committed them. You ever heard anything so shocking in your life? And that's not a stretch of our imagination. We're not trying to do some theological gymnastics to, you know, come up with that kind of a, a good story, try to make you feel good. Because it's very simple. When the Lord Jesus died on the cross, how many sins had you already committed? Right. Not one. You know Why? It's kind of hard to sin if you weren't even born yet. So, 
almost 2,000 years ago, Christ died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, the Bible says, listen to these words. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord, that's God the Father, God in heaven, Jehovah, hath laid upon him the iniquity, the sin of us all. So at the cross, nearly 2,000 years ago before you even breathed your first breath, God punished his son. For how many of your sins? You know, see the absurdity of if God said, well, I know that on September, what's the date today? The 29th, 2012, you're going to trust my son as, as your savior. So from that day backward, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cancel out those other sins. But the other ones, that's, you're gonna, I'm going to leave that up to you. That's absurd, right? So that if God is going to cancel out your sins, he can't cancel out some of them. If he cancel out some of them, that's the equivalent to canceling out none of them because the Bible teaches that if you have even so much as one sin, you'll not get into heaven. That's why the Bible says in Revelation chapter 21, the last verse of that chapter says, there shall in no wise under any circumstances never, never enter into that heavenly city Anything that defileth or maketh a lie or worketh an abomination. Not even so much as one sin will ever sully, will, will ever stain the holy sanctity of, of the precincts of God's eternal dwelling place, the heavenly city. Not one sin will get in. So if you are going to get in, you don't need your sins from the past only forgiven. You need your sins even into the future. And you need not only some of them, You need not only the majority of them, you need all of them. And thank God tonight we can tell you with resounding conviction and great joy in our heart from the word of God himself that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. And because of that, here's a man celebrating that joy, that assurance. He knew beforehand where he was going to be when he died. And so he says, the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. All of your sins. And you know when it says that the son of God loved me? That tells me about the mercy of the cross. That tells me about the mystery of the cross. Because the man that died at the cross is the very person that you offended and insulted by every single one of your dark sins, by your dark deeds, by whatever words that you said from you. That's the one you sinned against. So the very one that you have sinned against is the one that is dying and receiving the punishment that you deserve. Now listen to this verse. The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Who's hurting in this verse? Who is the person that's suffering in this verse? You say it's the Son of God. Absolutely right. Who is the person that's not suffering in the verse? Paul. Who is the person that did all the sinning? Paul. Who is the person that should have done all the suffering? Paul. And who's the one that's suffering? The Lord Jesus, the Son of God, who loved me. 
his mercy. Do you think he was happy when you sinned against him yesterday? Day before? Three years ago? Today? You think he was happy? That's the one that you have offended. That's the one that you have angered. That's the one that hates with a holy hostility your every sin. And I want to say something here a little bit to tweak something that's commonly said. God hates the sin and he loves the sinner. But you know what? That's somewhat misleading. You know why? Because I'm not sure I can explain it or totally understand it. But I can tell you right now that he not only hates your sin, but he's angry with you because of your sin. It's not just that he looks at your sin and says, you poor little victim, you know what? You know, you poor little guy, you know what? I, oh, you know, it's not your fault. You know, you just, you know, you messed up, you know, and I don't like what you did, but you know what? You're a good guy. No, 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 no. He is actually holding you tonight accountable, responsible, answerable for every single thing you have ever done wrong. And you know what? I'm not trying to make you feel bad. But I can assure you that if you're anything like I am, the vast majority of everything you've done wrong, you have long ago forgotten. Okay, you don't think so? No. Okay, so three years ago, give me, give me a list of 100 things you did wrong. Um, oh, okay, uh, it'd be a stretch, wouldn't it? Could you tell me 10? And think about every year up until now. We got selective memory. We got bad memories. But God does not. And on the database in heaven tonight is the record of all of your sins. So this is no walk in the park. This is no kind of a simple, trivial matter. This is a God tonight that has imposed sanctions on you. And he has refused you entrance into heaven because of your sin. And he knows every single one of them. And they're all there in their dark hue before himself, before God, in his presence. And every single moment they are there uncleansed and unremoved, unblotted out. You know what they're calling for? They are calling for God's wrath and judgment to fall upon you. So the God tonight that hated your sin and the God tonight that was not happy with you because you're the person that committed the sins without contradicting a whit of it. This verse says, he loved me and gave himself for me. So he's angry with you, but he loves you. You know, many of us, if we're angry against somebody that's done us something wrong, we don't feel a lot of love for them. But I think we do have situations. A parent can be angry with a child. It doesn't mean that he's canceled all his love. A child can be angry with a parent doesn't mean that they canceled out their love. And here tonight is a case where a God is angry with you because of your sin. Hasn't canceled out his love, but it's caused him a great dilemma because his love does not want to see you suffer. His love does not want to see you land in hell. And because of that, he did what was necessary. And this one that loved you is the one that went to the cross and gave himself. And in the language of our verse tonight, it says, the son of God who loved me 
and gave himself for me. So I want you to notice that it's to cover all of your sins. And when it says he gave himself, I want you to think of the totality. It was an entire Christ. It's not as if Christ said, okay, you know what? I'm just going to put one arm on the cross. It's not as if he was dismembered and half of him was put on the cross. It was an entire Christ that was totally given over to the judgment and suffering of the cross. A complete Christ for a complete pardon. Do you like that? Now, I want to ask you a question tonight. Obviously, this verse is talking to us about Paul, correct? And it says, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, this is an amazing statement. This is an astonishing statement. It tells us that so serious was his sin that if he was the only person in the world, it would have taken the whole death of Christ to pay for his sin. And it's not just true about him. It's true about every single one in this meeting right now. And the death of Christ was actually on the behalf of an entire human race, the whole world. Now, here's something I want you to get. If the conveners of this conference came in tonight and they brought in this massive pizza, okay? And they said, here's a pizza for everybody here tonight. There'd be nobody in the right mind would be thinking that that whole pizza is for them alone, right? Of course not. And nor would they want the whole pizza. It would be a big thing, right? All right? So what would be in the thinking of everybody when some offer like that happened? You know what they'd all be thinking? Oh, I'm going to get a piece of pizza. Oh, nice. Maybe I'll get two. Maybe I'll get three, you know? And they'd be happy with that. And they'd be full with that. Illustration is a little clumsy, a little primitive, but you know what I'm trying to tell you tonight? Is that when Christ died at the cross, it's not just so that you get a little bit of it. You get the whole thing. Because the whole thing is necessary to save you. I don't understand how that the whole thing could be for one person alone. And yet at the same time, without that person having to forego any of it, it is equally elastic to be for everybody fully, equally, at the same time. But that's the facts. That's the truth of the cross. So I want to ask you a question tonight. This statement's true about Paul. This statement is true about myself. If this statement was true about you, what would that mean to you? What would it mean to you? Well, what did it mean to Paul? The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So because of that, Paul dies. Where's he going? Heaven or hell? Is that a hard question? Where's he going? Heaven or hell? He's going to heaven. You know why? Because in the mathematics of God, that one death 
of that one Savior cancels out every single one of Paul's sins. He goes straight to heaven. And Paul didn't have to wait till he died to find it out. He's in the middle of life right here. And he's living in the thrill of it. He's living in the enjoyment of it. He's living in the assurance of it. There's no doubt in his mind. He's actually living in the celebration of it. He's living in the full possession of it. And there came a day in his life when what the Lord Jesus had done for him at the cross of Calvary was something that was accepted. It was embraced. It was understood. It was believed. And it was received. And its instantaneous benefits became true to Paul in that moment and from that moment forward and to this very day and at this very hour in this very night, this same math is still true. And what Christ did for Paul is what saved Paul eternally. If he did this for you, you know what else it meant to Paul? It meant beyond the shadow of a doubt that the Lord Jesus loved him. Who else? Why else would somebody give their life? So he understood and was completely convinced that the Lord Jesus loves me because he gave himself for me. So get a hold of this. The death of Christ was a proof of his love. The death of Christ at the cross was a pledge of heaven, a promise of heaven at the end of the journey. And in the meantime... It was a wonderful pleasure. It was a wonderful peace. It was a wonderful joy. And in this verse, it translated into a transforming practicality in his life. No longer was he trying to live his life to get to heaven. He was now living his life because he was going to heaven. And he was now identified with the Christ who died at the cross and as we were hearing today, Christ died for Paul, meant eternal heaven, eternal salvation, eternal forgiveness, all of his sins, canceled out through no effort of his own, save the efforts of the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross on his behalf. As a free gift, he received eternal salvation. And that became the motor, that became the driving force, that, that became the combustible if you like, that drove this man forward for the rest of his days until he bowed at Nero's block and was martyred by the executioner's sword. It's simplicity. It's reality. And it's immediacy. You could leave the meeting tonight fully convinced Satisfied, willing, accepting, recognizing, resting that if the Son of God gave himself for me, it's individuality, not for us, for me, then that means something very poignant, something very personal. That means the Son of God loved me. Think you could go home tonight with that? If you had that, would you need anything else? You think you need anything else beyond that?
to live the rest of your life content? And when it came time to die, you think you could leave this world with nothing more and nothing less than the sinless Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He could do nothing more. And tonight, all you need to do is rest upon it. Is trust him. Is believe on, not about, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will never fail you. You will never be ashamed. You will never be sorry. You will never be disappointed. He that believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ tonight, and thou shalt be saved tonight through the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. God bless this word, shall we pray? Our Father, we're thankful for the wonderful story of the cross. We think of the amazing mystery that one so sinless, one so high, one so holy should die for so unholy sinners such as ourselves. We thank the Father for a love that could not be earned but has been freely given. We thank Thee for a life that found no equal both before nor since in the history of the annals of man's history. That life without sin and without spot presented to Thee upon the altar of the cross was a sacrifice made once for all time. And we thank Thee, Father, that based on the shed blood of the Lord Jesus, salvation, eternal, personal, secure, and present and forever is free for the taking. Grant there might be someone tonight out of a sense of sinfulness, unworthiness, of having, of having offended Thee many times in true repentance and sorrow and contrition of heart will reach out an empty hand of faith tonight to receive the gift of all gifts, the love of God, eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We ask it in the Savior's precious name. Amen.